0: And that was when that was one of those moments when I thought, okay, there might be more to pitching than just coming up with a great idea, having a great uh, pitch deck, and doing a, a stunning presentation in front of the clients.
1: Hi, I'm Joel Pilger. You're listening to episode 49 of the Rev Thinking podcast, the conversation between creative entrepreneurs who know the best way to deal with the future is to create it. On today's episode, I am interviewing Marco Fan, consultant at RevThink. And our topic is win the client, not the pitch.
0: Welcome to Rev Thinking, the podcast for next generation creative entrepreneurs. Now, here is your host, Joel Pilger.
1: Hey, it's Joel. Welcome to another episode. We had a break here for a few weeks. It's kind of what happens in summertime. But I'm actually in Los Angeles. And as you might imagine, I'm in traffic. I'm driving across town from hollywood to the west side but i'm excited to be in los angeles because i'm here for a couple of reasons not only some client work helping some studios here in town be their most awesome and amazing selves but last night was cohort the kickoff dinner here in los angeles and man we had a good time so this is the quarterly cohorts of creative entrepreneurs Basically, imagine studio, production company, agency, owners getting together and having a private dinner to build community, share insights, and keep moving forward together. It was awesome. Now, if you feel like, dang, I missed out, I would have loved to have come to that. Well, I will tell you, don't feel too bad. It is invitation only. Um, We are curating the group to be only elite creative entrepreneurs, but if you feel like that is you, then by all means, go to RevThink.com. You can scroll down to the bottom of any page and contact us and say, hey, I'd love to attend an upcoming cohort dinner. Next week in New York, we are doing the kickoff dinner there on uh, Wednesday the 18th. And I think there are a few seats available. So if you want to jump in and you qualify, then by all means, we would love to have you join us in New York. I'm going to be there. Tim Thompson is going to be there. Our special guest is Garib Seamus, CEO of Ace Comic Con. And our topic is uh, diminutive yet disruptive. <laughs> so it's going to be really cool. I can just tell you last night, I think everyone was really excited to say, yes, we should continue doing these dinners quarterly and let's continue to continue to build community because we are stronger together. To all right, if you're hearing my iPhone tell me directions across town, my apologies. This is how it goes here in Los Angeles. All right, um, also, there are a bunch of owners in other cities that are firing up other chapters. So if you're interested in doing a cohort dinner in Atlanta, D.C., Denver, or San Francisco, by all means, get in touch with us and let us know you're interested. And one other reason I'm here in Los Angeles is tonight. This is Tuesday night. Uh, R and So this is a motion design group that's just starting in Los Angeles. I know that here's what's crazy, right? There's really not a central, unified motion design user group. Uh, you know, hangout, whatever, meetup. In Los Angeles, which is insane. And this one is just getting started. It's called R&D. So I'm going to take part in that tonight. Of course, I've got to show up to that. Um, very excited. That's going to be, um, it's being hosted or sponsored, uh, led by a bunch of the folks at State Design, who, of course, are clients of ours and good friends. So very much appreciate their all their efforts so uh, be sure to check out R&D when you're in Los Angeles and come to some of those upcoming events. All right, today's podcast. Really excited to be having a conversation with Marco Van. Now, Marco is a consultant here with us at RevThink, and he's our European-based consultant. He's in Munich, Germany, and you'll know right away when you hear his voice that he is German. But he has a unique perspective and background. I'm really excited to hear his story of not only his journey in the industry, how he came to become a consultant, but specifically Marco has become a very passionate advocate for pitching the right way and new business. And I especially love his perspective where he argues your, your job in pitching is really to win the client, not the pitch. So that's going to be a very cool conversation. A couple other announcements. Uh, RevThink is going back to Moldova in about a week and a half. We are working with U.S. aid, as in U.S. foreign aid, uh, as well as the country of Sweden, where we are working with an international development company to help stimulate the creative sector in the country of Moldova. And we're doing a conference, um, speed dating, and an accelerator with the Moldovans uh, for, for about the next year we'll be doing this program. So very excited to be back with them. Such wonderful people and creative and talented and smart people. So if you're hearing my voice and you're based in Moldova, I give you a high five. Look forward to seeing you uh, shortly. Uh, Then I'm off to Savannah for a week. Uh, Yes, going to be at SCAD for a week and looking forward to seeing some of the folks there. That's That's about all the announcements I have for right now. I want to invite everyone listening that if you want to just stay up to date with what's going on in RevThink land, probably the easiest thing to do if you're an owner or a partner in a creative business is to go to our 7 Ingredients Facebook group. So just go to uh, Facebook, search the number 7 Ingredients, and you'll see that group curated by RevThink. Request access, and that's where you can stay up to date with about 430 or so uh, business owners from around the world. Also, a final announcement. We are opening enrollment for Jumpstart. That's the accelerator that helps small, up-and-coming, ambitious, creative businesses reach the next level. And yours truly is the mentor for Jumpstart. Uh, We're enrolling through the month of July. We're going to kick off the next 10-week accelerator uh, on August the 7th, I believe. So if you're curious about what Jumpstart is and how it might help you kick your game up to the next level, uh, you can go to RevThink.com slash accelerators slash jumpstart. Or just hit the jumpstart link on our our homepage. That's probably the easier thing to do. And take a look at that uh, program. It's been awesome. And I can't wait to enroll another round of students or mentees into the program. This is going to be our fifth go-round. And, man, it's been really rewarding and satisfying for me to see so many small studios and production companies uh, reaching that next level. Uh, doubling their revenue over time and just all the awesomeness that comes from kicking up your game to the next level. Okay, now to my conversation with Marco Fan Consultant at RevThink. I hope you enjoy the conversation. So from one German to another, Marco. (laughs) (laughs) That was (laughs) a great great intro. (laughs) (laughs) It's great to uh, have you on the podcast. I've been excited to uh, talk with you because I feel like you joined the Revthink team team earlier this year, but so many people in our audience have yet to meet you. So say hello.
0: hello, audience. Hello, Revthink. Nice <laughs> to be here. Yeah I'm, I'm really excited too. And- well
1: tell me, you are we say you're our Europe uh, foothold, right? Uh, for for Revthink. um uh, but where where are you based?
0: I'm based in near Munich in Germany.
1: And have you always, have you spent your career in, in Germany? Because I know we'll, we'll get into obviously some of your background and history um, in the industry. Have you always worked in Germany?
0: Actually, I have not. I started my, my career like right after school. I went to, I went to see the world, went to uh, New Zealand, to Australia, worked there for a couple of years with my girlfriend. And when we came back, we, I think it was accidentally we settled in uh, Munich and by chance we we just got access to a great great studio over here and yeah that's kind of how we kickstarted our careers back in the day
1: Oh that's so interesting yeah well it's um'm I'm, I'm excited because I know where our conversation is heading and I want to give
0: wait everyone... <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: right you don't know but I do um, no I, I wanted to give people listening a, a, a hint of where we're headed right because we're gonna eventually start talking about, pitching and your love of it. And I think the reason I wanted to mention that is because I feel like your journey has been this evolution of student to practitioner to expert, if you will. And I think as we go through your story, I just want people to sort of know that's kind of where we're headed because we'll come back to pitching, the art of pitching, the science of pitching and all that later in the conversation. But first, let me ask you this question. You started off your career, I think, as a designer, or maybe even specifically a brand designer. Is that is that well, how you actually, uh, describe it?
0: Yeah. Well, uh, back in the days, I, I guess you know this time, it was called broadcast designer. I think it's uh, this term is right. not used anymore, is it?
1: Right. That, no, not much. But not I know much. the term very well from uh, yeah back in the 90s, uh, broadcast design was yeah. a very popular, popular term.
0: Damn, I'm getting old. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and uh, broadcast design basically was is what the uh, motion design is today but with a strong focus on a brand so w- which usually would be the the tv networks
1: sure tv channels and tv and channels so stuff like that yeah, and, and re- rebrands and so forth
0: we brand, yeah and I, and I was lucky enough to work at a company in germany uh which is called velvet and what they did back in the days they did um, the owner, he's just such a remarkable person. He he was able to win pitch after pitch and win one big TV station after another.
1: And were those German stations or were they Actually, other, other countries? Uh,
0: during the time I was working there, it was like almost eight years. We only once had, had a Swiss TV station. So they spoke German. But mm-hmm. anything else was uh, Eastern Europe or Asia, Middle East, all over the world well, pretty much all over the world except Germany.
1: That's so interesting. And, and so th- was there a lot of travel and were there language barriers, but somehow you guys were able to get over those obstacles?
0: There was a lot of traveling involved. It Well, when I started out, I, I wasn't allowed to travel. I was just a designer. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I grew into this role. And later I, when I ran my own company, which started actually started off as a partner company to Velvet, I see, and we had to yeah, we we did travel a lot, yeah, and I, I learned so much about cultures from like Middle East and Asia and and uh, Eastern Europe. Also, we also had some American clients, but they were way really close to our culture, so that's not a big difference. But it was really really nice to to. Get to know other people, how they think how how they um experience design, how they experience animation entertainment and that's that really helped me to evolve as a yeah as a designer
1: well yeah, I can imagine that working with a lot of different cultures there's a well let's say there's an assumption that we market and we advertise the same because we're human beings, but the the reality is different cultures speak and communicate and market and advertise in different ways. So I'm guessing you've got a nice uh, breadth or a variety of experience working with those different countries.
0: Well, as much as you could uh, learn within the short term of a a project. But what you just said is is totally right. Like uh, we experience the world, in the end, this all comes down to pitching. So we try to pitch the way we experience pitching to us and that's why most uh, creative studios fail uh pitching their creative services because they don't really know how others perceive them how the clients perceive them and what i learned in uh, with working with different cultures is that it's almost never like what you have in your mind that's almost never what a client has in its mind like when we worked with um, especially asia and we, we had this big huge brand design we want a brand uh a rebranding of a big TV station, which involved like 50 sub channels. Oh, wow. And that was a major, major project. And we met like people from India, Malaysia, the headquarters were in Malaysia. So we met people from Malaysia, India, Chinese people, even Middle Eastern people, uh, cultures. That was so, so a nice variety of cultures and input It was just so vivid, you know, like, and the way we design and work and think in Germany is very structured and it's very minimalistic. Hmm. Yes, of course. And we, when we Germans try to, to be like, like they ask us to be loud in our designs and to really, to be colorful and to be... I don't yeah, know. How, outrageous, how these, outrageous. Yeah, and, and, outrageous probably, yeah. yeah. And when we tried to do that, and uh, we, we went over our barriers, like our mental barriers, we we we, uh, we went so far and they said, okay, now it's starting to get interested. So when we reached our limits, actually when we um, passed our limits, that's when they said, okay, now we're getting somewhere. We have to go in this way. And it's like, okay. So when I, what I learned there was that what you as a designer have hold in your mind, what you think it's true, what the client needs or wants is almost never the case for the client. It's They usually want something totally different because they have a different culture. They have a different background. Even if it's the same country and they're working in a big corporation, they see the world. They see the problem differently than you do.
1: So interesting. Now, let me ask you this, Marco, because you're talking about pitches for rebrands. And just to give people maybe a sense of what we really mean by that, these are not small projects. These are not small pitches. Because I'm guessing when you do rebrands, at least here in the US, it's almost always a large six-figure project, sometimes even seven figure So a small rebrand might be two or three or $400,000. A large one could be a million. Is are, Were those the size projects that you were working on around the around the world
0: yeah exactly that's you know this you you did the same jobs back in the days right yes and yeah that always involved big budgets but you have to see it from the other way as well it's like it's not just one movie or one logo you deliver you you deliver like well one time we had deliver 1000 elements which wow. included yeah. like logos, icons, uh, openings, yeah. show openings, news openings, stuff <laughs> like that. And items. Yeah, there's all this
1: there's all these crazy nomenclature like in oh, the US. We, yeah. yeah, no, it's funny because I the terminology is all different because sometimes it's a bumper versus an ID versus a a rejoin versus an end page. And I'm sure in Europe you have different terms and in Asia they have different terms. But you're right, these these projects are actually huge massive undertakings it may be one project called you know re my tv network but the deliverables can be hundreds of elements uh that take six months nine months uh and involve sometimes dozens of decision makers and committees and you know it goes all the way up to the ceo and these kinds of things
0: and the thing is you actually pitch to entertainment companies so the barrier is really high the bar is really high Yep. Yeah. So you, you always have to be at the edge of innovation when it comes to designing and to, to deliver a new idea, a new design, a new layout, a new brand. And the worst thing is, like, it won't take them two years and they're going to ask someone else to redo it again.
1: So. Of course. <laughs> so now tell me, I want, I'm curious to transition. So this is the bright side of your story these large high ticket pitches and these big projects and working around the world. But I'm sure through those experiences, you experienced some major struggles and some obstacles and had some painful learning experiences as you grew, not only as a a designer, but as a communicator and how you do pitches. Tell me a little bit about maybe some of the more painful or difficult seasons you went through.
0: Well, pitching is always painful. It's like you put all your heart in there. You you, you spend all these hours and you never know if you're going to win. At least that's why, that was my reality back in the days. Pitching was like a playing soccer blindfolded. You, you never knew where the goal is. You never knew where to shoot the ball. And so I think the probably the worst experience I ever had when it comes to pitching was when we pitched, we actually pitched in Asia and it was uh, this, the project when we pitched for 50 TV channels and I prepared this beautiful pitch deck and uh, yeah, we, we flew all, all the way to Malaysia and then the presentation day came and usually it was like my partner because he was like, I think like 10 or 11 years older than me. He was like a senior and he he had done it like hundreds of times and he was really good in pitching. Right. Um, I don't know. For some reason, he told me, uh, look, I didn't, uh, well, he just told me that I was doing the presentation and I didn't prepare. And I just, uh, got a short notice in the cab on the right to the, to the client. And so you
1: mean like like ten minutes before the presentation he says, "Yeah, you're gonna run you're gonna way, run this presentation by the way,
0: you're gonna run this presentation, and <laughs> wow, yeah, I, I did the pitch deck, so I knew what to say, but it was my first time I'd never done a pitch before, and like I did pitches, but I've never done and I've never presented right and sure that's that's huge when we walked into this huge, massive building. Like I got all those sweaty palms and then we we went into this boardroom and then the and it wasn't like just a pitch to a to a producer an art director, a creative director. That was actually the, the a pitch to the CEO. So we were led so to course. the boardroom and the CEO came in and like he was like really how do you say that? He was, like, he was, was he- such an impressive person and it was like
1: I think the English word you're looking for is intimidating.
0: Yeah, I was intimidated so much. I felt like a small schoolboy. Yes, that's exactly how the pitch went. I think it was the worst um, presentation I did in my whole life. But the funny so thing what, was, we still won.
1: Oh, you still won. We so still why won. Would, so now, okay, this is interesting because you would. Many people might think, well, if you won what's the problem? What's the big deal? But you viewed it as a learning experience.
0: Yeah. The thing is, when you when you totally uh, mess up such a presentation, if you totally screw this presentation, that's a big presentation. We had to put a lot of money into this pitch. We actually flew half across the globe just for this presentation. Then you walk into this boardroom meeting and you totally screw up. And afterwards you still get told you won yeah that that gets you thinking i i think i mean like everyone views the presentation as probably the second uh most important part after the pitch deck and what i learned in this pitch was or what i actually learned afterwards was that we won before we even went there oh i see and that was when there was one of those moments when I when I thought okay there might be more to pitching than just uh coming up with a great idea having a great uh, pitch deck and doing a a stunning presentation in front of the clients maybe there's something else that was kind of my first like uh, the first dip into the water
1: yeah well it's to me this is like where you are bumping up against what i call a myth uh it's a lie that we in our industry love to tell ourselves called it's all about the work. Yeah. Right? If we just produce brilliant work and if I show up and do this song and dance and you know wave my hands a lot and I'm excited I will win. My my company will win. I will succeed. And there's obviously a lot more happening, a lot more going on there. And it sounds like this was your first experience realizing, hmm, there's more involved in a great pitch than just great work.
0: Well, yeah, and, and the presentation. I mean, the presentation still, I still believe that the presentation is one of the most important things when it comes to pitching. Mm-hmm. Because a presentation is the moment when you, actually, you you present yourself to a client. You don't present the work you did. You present yourself to the client and the client gets an, a short window where he can experience how it would be to work with you, how, how you are as a person, if he can trust you, if he if he likes you, stuff like this. This all comes down to trust and credibility and, and in the end to chemistry. And that's what a um, presentation is all about.
1: Well, I love that. Because I remember you phrased it one time. I heard you say, win the client before winning the pitch. Is that, Am I rephrasing it properly? Yeah, uh,
0: I said, win the client, not the pitch.
1: Yeah, even better. <laughs> Yeah, and that's counterintuitive because we think, oh, it's all about they want to buy our great idea. But I think like you said, once you really start to understand the nature of the business, you realize they're really investing in you and your company. So it's much more about trust first than simply how cool your idea is.
0: I couldn't agree more. That's, that's what a pitch is all about. It's all about trust. Like business, doing business in any industry is always about trust. And as I see it, we as a creative industry, we never, we were never told that we are actually running businesses. We always thought we, we are graphic designers, we are motion designers, whatever. And we always thought we'd do art. And that's what we, that's the way we were raised in design school.
1: That's and so interesting. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I
0: think that's, that's the same experience you made huh? when you, when you were back in the days, when you, when you first started out.
1: Very much so. No, very much so. I, I learned fortunately from uh, the way I ran my business, my strategy was I want to be the dumbest person in the room. <laughs> so I hired really brilliant creative directors and designers. And I can think of one creative director in particular who was a brilliant pitch guy. But by that, I mean, yes, he was a brilliant designer, but he was even better in building trust and building relationships. And also he was a master at how to build a presentation that told a story so that when we got into the room myself i would i would set up the story i would begin the story he would pick i would hand the ball to him he would carry it for a while then he would hand it over to my producer she would finish the story and it was this beautiful narrative of how we did presentations that was so powerful and naturally it was always an in, in-person <laughs> um, but there was a, just a, a whole lot more to it than simply oh i have this cool idea i have this great design they're going to love it it's much more complex than that
0: yeah and what you just described the the process of handing over the presentation to other people that's that's one big part of the presentation you can't just go there by yourself right you have no no it's like every expert has to talk you, you, as a business owner, you can't, you can't do the creative um, explaining the creative work because that's not convincing. That's not credible. You can't, it's like the client is asking now what you're creative for. You run the business or, or do you do the, the project management? And I think what you did, what you just described is perfectly because that's what the client wants to see. He wants to see that that's not just you handling all the, all the different jobs, they, he, they want to see it. you have a team and that you work together and you function as a team.
1: Well, here's another little secret that I love to share. And I, I'll, I'm curious for your thoughts on this. I also found an enormous advantage in my being able to sing the praises of someone else. If it's just me bragging about my ideas and how my, great my company is, it comes off very self-serving. But if I turn to my client in the pitch and I say, by the way here's mitch my creative director he is so amazing so brilliant you're going to love his ideas take it away mitch that's a whole different dynamic because i'm singing the praises of someone else not me and it works and then mitch of course says oh you know i'm i'm embarrassed you know he is he uh, he. Then says, "No, Joel is the brilliant one. You're going to love working with him." But okay, now let me uh, let me tell you my part of the presentation.
0: <laughs> yeah, that that sounds like a great strategy. That's
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I use it many times. <laughs> yeah,
0: I never, I've never, well, I've never used this praising, but well, in the end, it probably came down to the same thing. But you perfectly described uh, why it's important to share to share the presentation between different people because everyone is a perf- uh, is an expert in something but you can't just be an expert in everything you have to right. focus and on it, something
1: and if you if you proclaim yourself as the expert and you praise and brag on yourself it's just bad <laughs> it's it's embarrassing it doesn't work it's uncomfortable
0: yeah it totally feels strange doesn't it
1: yes yes so okay so let's get back to your story of you you pitched to this big Asian network that had fifty subchannels. Uh, the The pitch went poorly, but you still won. However, you said clearly we had won the pitch before we ever walked into the meeting. So, what did that tell you? Once you once you realized that, what did you look then start to say? Wait a minute, maybe there's more going on here in terms of how pitches get won.
0: Well, what I learned in this pitch was that, um, what I actually learned after this pitch was that there was an ongoing relationship between, uh, between my former partner and this company. So they worked together before. And so they had good experience with him and that's, they trusted him. And that's how we actually got asked to pitch there. I don't think they ever thought gonna, they're going to hire us so in the end, I think at some point, at some point we had also to convince with creative, with the creative part. Creativity is important to win a pitch. Sure. But it's only half the way. Like you can't win a pitch solely by the creative work. You also have to have this relationship. And that's that's what I learned in this pitch, is like you want to have a relationship going, ongoing, a good relationship before you present. Because There's just not enough time to build a relationship during this pitch, during this uh, short pitch presentation time, It's like 20 minutes, 40 minutes. And you focus on, on presenting your work, there's no time to build a relationship. There's no time for
1: trust. Do you think the relationship building even starts before the client asks or invites you into a pitch?
0: Well, to me, like we um, and you tell us in in your classes as well. To me, like the relationship is is the base. Building the relationship is the base of branding any creative studio, and that's when it starts. Like building the re- relationship and actually winning the pitch starts way before the client asks you to to pitch. It starts with your branding, with your positioning on the market in. Uh, It starts with how you build your website, the content on your website, yeah, how you lay out your different strategies or how you describe your studio to the client.
1: I love that. I love that because this is something that I think um, you and I both know this expression from David C. Baker that we love where he says uh, it's it's, it's impossible to read the label on the outside of the bottle when you're on the inside, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's why I said it in the beginning. Yes.
1: Yeah, it's so true. And this is often why I also see so many studios that fail to view their brand, their positioning from the perspective of the client. And so they miss certain things, like they don't talk about the who. They don't talk about the why, they just talk about the what. You know, they talk about we produce this type of work and we do it for these amazing brands, so you should hire us. And it just doesn't it doesn't work. It doesn't connect. So that branding and positioning, I agree, is ultimately like you said, it's the foundation of forming a relationship.
0: And it's the hardest thing to do, isn't it? Well sure. Like we just rebranded our website and like the WebThink website, and that was uh it wasn't easy. <laughs> no, you did all it the was, work, it, so
1: it was torture. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. of course. But it all—it always is. And this is this is why positioning right is—you're never done. It's only better. It's never perfect. You know, you could—you just keep improving it.
0: Let's be honest. Most creative studios suck at branding themselves. It is a problem of being in the in the inside of the bottle and trying to read the label on the outside. But in the end, our job as a as a creative, as a creative studio, and as, as a creative designer, is to brand our clients. That might be like a new logo. It might be uh, communicating his message to his audience, which is also branding. So we as creatives, we do this branding part and and uh, positioning all the time. But when it comes to our own branding, we fail. We fail massively because we don't get help. We think we can do it all ourselves. But the thing is you are inside the bottle and you can't do it on your own. You have to get experts and that help you to brand your studio to brand your creative company that's actually something i learned from you you need and you always need mentor you need an expert that helps you you can't and you shouldn't do it on your own
1: well i think to the there's a there's a benefit to getting there faster right because some studios will figure this out but it might take 10 years and i just i would ask anyone do you want to spend 10 years struggling trying to breakthrough trying to build relationships? Or do you want to get there faster? Because I think, like you said, if you do it right, you can really get people's attention, get those meetings, yes. start building those relationships yes. right right now. You
0: can start building a relationship with your website. That's actually, uh, I call it the passive way of selling. Your website is it's not a, a blackboard it's uh, your website is a conversion funnel. Your website has the sole reason to convert prospective clients into clients that want to work with you. What I forget to ma- forgot to mention, I just want to add something to my statement that most creative studios suck at branding. The thing is, clients see that when you come to a pitch or even before you come to a pitch, they, they're going to look at your website. And when they research you, when they look you up, and if they don't see what your specialty is, what your expertise is, besides creating nice, beautiful pictures or nice, beautiful images, projects, if clients don't see what your focus is, how can you expect them to trust you in your expertise if you are not able to brand your studio yourself? If well, you're this not-
1: is reminding me of my most painful positioning experience Tell me when I had this, well, it was this meeting I had with um, Roger Hyde, who is the senior vice president of marketing at Directv, And this is a huge client, huge buyer in the U S six figure budgets every, every week (laughs) throughout the year. And I, it took me four years to get a meeting with this guy at pro max. And I finally had the meeting and he says, nice to meet you. Tell me about your studio. And I said, you know we're design. We're collaborative. We love storytelling. I don't know. We're passionate. All the usual mm. crap that <laughs> that studios say. But you should
0: We are. Yeah. We yeah. Are exactly. Creative studio. Or whatever. Yeah. Right, Right.
1: And he stops and he looks at me and he says, "Can I be honest? <clears throat> I've met with about twelve companies like yours today, and you guys all suck at marketing. Why <laughs> should I trust?" you to market my brand and he had me he was right i just looked at him yes. and said uh i don't know <laughs> did you get it and job? i never got no of course <laughs> not no i blew the op- the opportunity was blown it was like oh well that was four years in the making and i guess i'll go hit up some other client
0: What you just described this, this is so painful that's that's a reality to many studios they Many studios do great work, but they are just bad in expressing their value to the client. So they go to the pitch and the client might actually like the project and the solution they propose, but they never had a winning chance because the client didn't trust them at all. Mm. They they didn't trust them that they can fulfill the promise they made in the pitch deck.
1: So now that you've had this career evolving from the yeah. student to, to the designer to the more senior guy that's doing pitching and so forth. And now you've evolved to consulting studios and production companies on a variety of things, but specifically pitching, like we're talking about now. What are some of the patterns that you've been able to see that you can then now apply to your clients to help them, I guess, win more pitches, right?
0: All you have to do is just look at the big studios and look how they do their website, how they communicate to clients. Because they know that they are not communicating to the industry or to to other designers they come they know they communicate to the to their clients and when you research them look how they do it like one great example would be trollback that's one of the uh my favorites trollback in the us or troika and there's another one in the uk which is called dixon boxy those studios they they have tremendous websites they have great presentations and i can only imagine how they do their pitches but they they just nail it they are big studios they win great budgets great accounts and the thing is when you research those those um those big players those great studios which do amazing work when you research them you always find that there are five stages or five topics they cover. And I call this the circle of trust, which which pretty much is like, you have to promise something to a client in your pitch or on your website. Then you have to position yourself, your studio towards the problem. You have to show your pictures. You have to, to show that, uh, that your great work, obviously your solution. Mm-hmm, right. But And that might all be obvious to that point. But then what almost no one does is you have to prove that what you propose can be done within time, within budget, and to the full satisfaction of the client. And that's where it really gets tough. Like You really have to provide some assurance.
1: Yeah. Why is that so tough? Because is it just that studios, uh, they're good at implying that they can deliver on those, but they don't actually come out and say it? Well, it's
0: because we don't want to take responsibility, Is it, isn't? not that the way? Wait, oh, wait. Yeah, of course. I think that's um, that's part of our job. We have to uh, clients ask us to solve a problem, and we have to take responsibility for the solution we deliver. We obviously we can't take responsibility for success because that's just not in our hands. Usually, there there are many other um, things, moving parts we have no control over. But what we have, what we propose that needs to work so we have to guarantee our processes in some way and that's challenging right. that's truly challenging and what you have to do and that all comes down to being credible and and, mm. and building trust so when the client trusts you that's all the assurance he needs
1: and is that number three or was that, that was number four, number four <laughs> and the last
0: one is just you have to <laughs> five yeah we have five and the last one is we have to push our clients not in the sense that we don't want to do it by scarcity or urgency, mm-hmm. but in a way that that moves the needle towards us. In the end, we have to answer the question why the client should pick us over other studios. And we, and if we can answer this question, as in the end of the presentation, that's when we move the needle uh, towards our uh, in our favor.
1: It's interesting you say that because I think. You and I have both seen there's even a strategy in <clears throat> how ideas are presented because a lot of studios, of course, uh, our clients ask us, you know, should we present two ideas or three ideas or four ideas and that, yeah. that, those types of <laughs> considerations, right? And
0: don't get me started on that.
1: <laughs> well, there's even the strategy you're talking about filters down to even how you present ideas because a lot of studios fail by simply presenting. Here's three options whichever one you like client go for it and award us the project and we'll get started but instead your what you're recommending I believe is present an idea that pushes them forward that might scare them a little bit that might be something they had never dreamed of but at the same time show them an idea that solves the problem and maybe even show them an idea that is what they asked for. But I just described three different strategies for how you present ideas. And I don't know if many studios really think that much about what are the ideas we're presenting? What's the strategy behind this idea versus this idea versus this one?
0: Well, my, my take on that is that, yes, you have to make the boldest move, the boldest promise you can do. But you always have to be able to back it up with an assurance that you can deliver on time like if you want to get some superstars in your next uh, i don't know in your next branding video you need to be sure that this person is available you right, can't just sure. pitch i'm um, getting uh, right
1: george clooney is george clooney pitch. yeah yeah
0: <laughs> you can't just say i'm going to get george clooney in in the movie in in our in your branding video and that's impossible. But if you can prove this, if, if you can assure that he's going to come if they sign off, they're going to sign off. And that's that's the beauty of it. But that also is involves a lot more work. You have to uh, work behind the scenes. You have to assure to your clients that what the solution you bring to the table will be worth um, the risk they have to take but because in the end they taking they are taking a risk in hiring you they don't know what yes. you will end up with they don't know what the solution is because you don't know yet do you
1: no and i love what you're saying because as the studio principal it may not seem very risky what you're proposing because you think i do this all the time this is easy but from your client's perspective their career is on the line totally they might Yeah, they might lose their job if this is a failure. So there's a stage of the sales cycle that I call closing. And there's a whole methodology to how do you reassure and how do you offer those guarantees so the client really trusts you, can really believe you. Uh, And that's a whole stage of the the pitch process that a lot of people just leave to chance. They say, well, we showed them our great ideas, and we're waiting for them to call us.
0: I don't think they leave it to chance. I, I totally agree with everything you just said, but I don't think uh, those studios leave it at chance. They they th- actually think that their work proves their credibility or delivers yeah, fair, their credibility.
1: Fair point. Yeah, no, that's you're absolutely right.
0: And what I learned is that any client has a superior. It it might even if it's the CEO of the company, they also have to respond their stakeholders or to the audience. So everyone has uh, – the clients have a responsibility. And if they mess up – well, if you mess up, they mess up, and they actually might just lose their job. And that's reality. That's, right. that's, that's, a, that's a reality for them. You don't lose your job. You just lose the account, and you probably build up front 50%. So there's no much, not much of a risk for, for us creatives, is there?
1: That's a great point. No, I, I totally agree. Well, let me let me sum up what we've talked about because I think this has been – so interesting to go through all of these nuances and concepts behind how studios not only brand and position themselves, but obviously when it comes time to pitch and present and propose ideas, this is what moves our businesses forward, right? I think the the cool takeaway that I'm hearing is there actually is a process, a methodology, maybe even a philosophy about how... You position your firm and how you pitch your firm, and I hope that's reassuring to people because it may seem like well, i'm just making this up as i go i I don't know it works. We won the job let's do it again, but there actually is a body of knowledge out there that works very well
0: yeah that that totally is like it's not. Pitching is not us presenting great ideas. As you said, that's a whole pitching is a whole methodology. It it's a and there's a whole framework. Like the, the creative work is important to win a pitch. But the thing is that the creative part is also re- replaceable. Hmm. Creativity is replaceable. And I know many uh designers won't agree with me. And in my daily work with Creative Studios I hear this a lot. And no one really wants to to admit to that. But what it comes down to is that a client will actually choose a vendor that he trusts over a vendor that uh, delivers ex- exceptional work.
1: Yeah, that's a hard truth. Because you're right, the relationship actually trumps the quality of the design or the quality of the work.
0: That's perfect phrase. I'm going to use this in my course, can I? The relationship <laughs> trumps the creative.
1: Yeah, it does. Well, okay, so that's actually a great mention that you just said there about your course, because we should mention that, that you've been developing for, I think, for a year or more, uh, a way to convey a lot of these ideas and methodology and process of pitching into a course – Format, What is that going to be?
0: Well, what I did the last year was um I was actually starting to write a book after I did all the research and after I reached out to the big companies and which included you as well in the, in the beginning and then I started to write this book and uh, this book kind of uh, it's kind of finished and went to my editor early this year and then I started to to work on this. I realized that there's so much more. And I started on uh, building this course, which became this um, course called "Win the Pitch." Still a working title, but it's you'll uh, you'll you know what I mean. Oh yeah, and a and work I mean, in progress. A yeah, work in progress. No, I mean like the, the the course like "Win the Pitch." It's all about uh, pitching to high ticket clients and six uh, pitching six and seven figure budgets, and how you can win without uh, relying. On being the most creative uh, participant because there's all, always someone that's uh, better than you, that's more experienced you than you. There's always another studio that's more resourceful than you. So focusing on creativity is never the way to win a pitch. And yeah, I, I just made a whole course out of that. And um, I'm hoping to start this, to launch this in a few months, actually.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to see it go live because I think there is a big need that studios and creatives can be exposed to. There's actually a way to not just design your deck properly, although there is a lot to that. But there's the whole presentation. There's the whole, how do you form a relationship? How do you win the client, not the pitch? This is a whole like school of pitching, I think, that I, I'm excited for you to start. Helping the world with this,
0: I actually think that it's, it's going to blow the mind of some of the students because it's, it it uh, involves a different approach to pitching, an approach that it's not that is not based on on the creative, but uh, much more on the business side of of, of the of the pitch of the work. And yeah, what you uh, forgot to mention is that even once you present it, the pitch didn't stop. Though there's a follow up, and you can still leverage your opportunities and. It's not about winning the the pitch, but it's winning the client for a prosperous long term relationship. And I always always tell my clients, look, it's not about the pitch you're doing at the moment. It's much more about building a connection, a relationship, and and a foundation for trust with the client. So you might not even have to pitch the next time he's going to ask you to help him.
1: Yeah, that's the that's a much bigger, longer view when you start realizing, hey. If we're going to have this account we're going to be pitching them regularly over a period of three five or more years so yes let's win this one but let's also think about how do we build a relationship so that we're invited invited to the next one and the next one and the next one
0: it's like when i when i was still running my my company back in the days we were invited to so many pitches by the same client so once a year, they, they ask us to pitch and pitch and pitch again. Sometimes we won, sometimes we lost. But it was always this short-term focus, uh, which is really frustrating and it's really um, exhausting at times.
1: Well, I believe some of the big names that you mentioned earlier, and I, I, I know a lot of the behind-the-scenes of how they approach pitching, is they actually view those relationships as accounts. And they are constantly creating value and uncovering problems before an RFP or a pitch ever even comes to the light of day. So that when finally a need does arise, the conversation has already begun. Like, of course, I'm going to call you, Marco, because you've been in touch with me. You've been thinking about my problems. You've been thinking about solutions. I'm ready to talk and that's just the nature of a great relationship
0: yeah and then that's what you just described is like blair ends calls us the inside advantage
1: yes right the inside track the
0: inside (laughs) track and that's that's so true like when you are connected to the client if if you already won his trust your chances to win the pitch are so much higher because you already proved your credibility your responsibility you have a connection to the client it's like yeah, that, that's that might be uh, that might be the difference between winning and losing.
1: Well, and think about the think about the result, the impact on a business that that improves their win ratio. I know one of our clients that's a motion design studio in L.A. They they went from winning about one out of three to winning two out of three, and over the course of a year, let's let's be honest, that's millions of and dollars.
0: The, and that that were like uh, high ticket. Pictures, right? Six and seven-figure
1: budgets. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: So, imagine how what what that means for your business if you move the needle from losing two out of three to winning two out of three. That's a whole different story, isn't it?
1: That's a huge. Yeah, I mean, you're just talking about A a lot of a lot of revenue and a lot of profit, and that's of course exciting because it allows you to then produce bigger and more amazing results for your clients.
0: Yeah, and what it actually does, it allows you to take risks. Like if you Mm. build a great, if you build a trust with your client, the client trusts you to take some risks as well.
1: And that's when it gets fun, right? When you have a relationship, when the client trusts you and you say, hey, I'm going to do something crazy wild here. Do you want to go there with me? And he says, I like it. Let's do it.
0: Yeah, I trust you. And that's, that's the perfect thing. That's what you want. You want your clients to say, yeah, let's do it. But you can't, uh, you, you you wouldn't convince your client if he's not trusting you, if you have no relationship, if you are, yeah, just someone he invited to a pitch and a studio that just uh, delivered some pitch decks.
1: Yeah, just a bunch of ideas. Yeah. Well, Marco, this has been a great conversation. I'm going to suggest that if uh, anyone listening is curious to find out more, that of course they can go to Revthink dot com and read some of your articles that are there uh i guess i can also share your email marco at revthink.com so if someone wants to find out more about your your course or how you work with um, clients in europe or in other parts of the world they should just reach out
0: and anyone that's interested in the course just sign up to the revthink Newsletter. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah we, have a, we have a mailing list. Um, and of course, we'll continue to make annou- announcements on the podcast. And if you're a business owner, we have our seven ingredients Facebook group. So people that are owners of studios or production companies should uh, request access there and join that group because we're always talking about business and pitching and other things like that in that group.
0: And it's so exciting. It's actually I'm I'm in this group too, and it's uh, it's great. It's like a lot of like-minded designers and creatives and business owners, and it's it's just fun talking to all those people.
1: Yeah, it's great. I I really enjoy it too. Well, thanks again for the the conversation. I hope it's been valuable to uh, people listening out there that have always kind of wondered, is pitching just something we all do and have to figure out on our own? Or is there a school of pitching that I can learn from and increase my my success? So thanks again for being on the podcast, Marco.
0: Yeah, thanks. I had a great time. It was nice talking to you. Thanks.
1: You've been listening
0: to the Rev Thinking Podcast. For more free resources, updates on upcoming events, or to learn how RevThink consultants advise creative entrepreneurs, please visit revthink.com.
1: I want to tell you about a place to connect that you might not know about. It's our online community called Rev Community. It's a great place to get to know other creative business owners like yourself, to share some thought leadership and read other encouragement, to be challenged in this new marketplace, new technology, ideas, economic trends. And it's a place to research. Check out many of the resources we have online, our videos, and of course, this podcast. Join us today at revthink.com slash community. If you're a creative studio owner, feel free to join us today at revthink.com slash community. I look forward to seeing you there.